Bibles, please open up to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 as we are continuing our studies in the life of Christ. And again, studying the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12 this morning. And it's again, Jesus is going to talk about prayer. This is the third time that Jesus speaks about prayer. And as we've learned in the past lessons, anything that is repeated in the scripture It's for a couple of reasons. It's because it's very important to the Christian. And secondly, it's because Jesus knows how slow we are to get things sometime. But but prayer is a a much needed thing in the Christian's life. And it's a resource that Jesus has given us, you know, to, to, to live the Christian life. One of the tools that we have as a Christian. But like I said, three times in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus speaks about the subject of prayer. So this is the third time that he does so. Now, Jesus did a lot of teaching when it came to prayer during his earthly ministry. And at one point, when the disciples saw him praying, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Of all the things that they could have asked, Lord, teach us to heal, teach us how to preach, teach us how to do this. They said, teach us to pray. Because they saw something in Jesus's life when they watched him pray. So, again, Jesus did a lot of teaching when it came to prayer. It would do us a lot of good if we studied what he said. Because, you see, his teaching will encourage us to pray, as well as instruct us how to pray. So let's begin now in chapter 7 with verse 7. And it says, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Here we see the great privilege of prayer. Think about it. To be able to ask and to knock and to seek where the Almighty God is involved. That's a great privilege. To be able to get to God and, to, and God listen to us, that's a tremendous privilege. <clears throat> I mean, you can't get to see the president or queen, the queen of England or any other high profile leaders for the most part you know, of other nations. So think about it. The great privilege we have to be able to go to God himself. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help uh, to uh, grace and to find grace to help in time of need. The greatness of this privilege is emphasized by the word boldly, which means we can pray Uh, And speak freely and honestly to God. And yet, how little do we value this great spiritual privilege of prayer? You know, at one time in the Old Testament, God wondered, wondered why there was nobody to intercede. Think think of God wondering. (laughs) The all-knowing God, who has infinite wisdom, wondering why isn't there nobody that wants to pray? Such an important resource. And yet we don't take the proper advantage of it. The words ask, seek, and knock. You know what? Those are a divine command to pray. So prayer is to have a high priority in the believer's life. Prayer is not a suggested ritual that you just add to your list of religious things to do. You know, when you have time or it's convenient. It's a regular assignment. Prayer is a regular assignment of the Christian. 
It's our duty to pray. And prayer is very important that, 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 that to not pray is disobedience. A.W. Pink said this, Prayer is a bounding or, or, or binding duty. Prayerlessness is not to be looked at as an innocent infirmity, but as a sign, the sin of the deepest stain. So prayer, being a divine command, means that, that this command to pray is a very important part of our life. Charles Spurgeon stressed the importance of prayer when he said this. He said, let us abound in supplication. Failure in prayer will undermine the foundation of our peace, sap the strength of our confidence. Ian Bounds said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men of prayer. The Holy Spirit doesn't flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men, men of prayer. So you see, prayer is truly important, and we need to give it the top priority of importance, like the scriptures do, and like Jesus does. Now, Jesus not only instructs us on the importance of prayer here, with his command to pray, but he also shows us the characteristics that our prayers should have, the things that we should see in our prayer life. So he tells us how to pray here in these verses. Again, in verse 7, he says, ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Now, the word ask is the word for the asking of an inferior to a superior. But Jesus never uses the word of his own asking from the Father, but always asking on equal terms. In other words, here, asking in prayer means coming to the Lord like a beggar to a generous person. And that's what we do when we come to the Lord in prayer. We're coming like beggars, inferiors to the superior who has everything that we need. So again, asking here involves being humble. I am humbly coming to God. I recognize my inferiority in comparison to God, who is superior. So I humbly come to him, Lord, asking him because he has everything that I need. So again, asking humbly recognizes the superiority of the one we're asking. So what does that do? Praying does not encourage pride when I recognize I'm an inferior asking a superior. True praying is a recognition of our lowliness in what we're uh, in, in, in that we're in need, we're needy, and we lack merit for the supplying of that need. I can't supply my needs, but the one who can is my God. The showy, the showy praying, you know, the ostentatious prayer of the scribes and the Pharisees who are the religious leaders in Jesus' day, that wasn't true praying. Because you see, they were praying, they were, they were only putting on a show for everybody to see. For everybody to go to, ooh and ah, look at these, how spiritual these guys are. And when they prayed, it wasn't the prayer of a humble petitioner. It was the prayer of somebody that was filled with pride. They prayed more for their own recognition than for the receiving of their daily needs. Also in verse 7, he said, seek. After, seek, he, after asking, he said, seek, and you will find. Now, the word seek means to look for something. And it means to look seriously and intently for something that I really want to find. So you see, depending on how intently and eagerly I seek to to, to get an answer to prayer, it shows whether I'm serious or not. Am I diligent? 
Am I really intent in my prayer? Am I really serious in my prayer? It's not a casual seeking. And this seeking involves effort and energy. So you see, prayer is not a casual exercise. It's more than just going through the motions. It's more than being, it's being concerned more about, uh, it's being more concerned about the substance of the prayer and less about the appearance. See, the scribes and the Pharisees were more concerned about the appearance of prayer and not the substance. You can't expect God to get serious about answering your prayer if you're not serious in your prayer. If you're not serious in praying your prayer. And James says it's the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. We get our English word energy from the term effective, fervent in James 5.16. And then in verse 7... After seek and after, uh, uh, after, I'm sorry, after ask and then after seek, we have knock and it will be open to you. The word knock will teach us several lessons. And the first lesson is it emphasizes faith. Knocking emphasizes faith because when you knock on a door, it's usually because it's closed. We knock so that it will be open. And sometimes we pray or when we pray, that door seems to be closed tighter than ever. I mean, sometimes we think that, bolt, that, that door is bolted and barred and, 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 and dead bolted and locked in every way possible. And so when you knock on a door, uh, again, it, 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 it's a picture of, of your circumstances seem to be, uh, don't seem to be very promising. You know, it just doesn't look like that door will ever be opened. You know, those circumstances, they don't look very encouraging. And that, that's what tends to keep us from praying or, or stop us from praying anymore. And as we'll see, the, the, whole, the whole text here is about continued prayer, constant prayer. Because we quit so easily sometimes when it comes to prayer. Because, you know, if God doesn't answer in a couple of days or a week, we just seem to think, well, God's not going to answer. And I, and, and I love reading uh, about, um, and there it went. Who was I going to, who was I reading about? George Mueller. I was just thinking of the name, and as soon as I get it, uh, George Mueller. I would encourage you to read about George Mueller. There's a book called uh, George Mueller of Bristol. And he ran an orphanage, and he, he never had a job. He, he, everything that he needed to start that orphanage, he prayed. He prayed for everything. That man gave away $17 million in helping in the ministers, and he never worked all through prayer. One day, he was sitting at the table, and the orphans that he was, he was taking care of he didn't have anything to eat. He said, let's pray, kids, for our meal. But Mr. Mueller, we, we don't have anything to eat. We will. Let's pray for our meal. As they were praying, there was a knock on the door and somebody brought food enough for those kids to eat. His whole ministry was like that, built on prayer. That's why we're so encouraged by Jesus to pray. That's why there's so much taught about prayer in the scriptures. But sometimes it looks so discouraging like those people. What are we praying for? We ain't, we, you know. Well, that's why we're praying. We don't have it. And God came through. So again, even when it doesn't look very encouraging to pray, Jesus says, pray. He says, don't be discouraged. Continue on your quest and knock. 
Another experience with George Mueller, he had a friend that he prayed for to get saved. 30 years he prayed for that man, and people were saying, Mr. Mueller, why do you keep praying? It's been years, it's been 10, 15, 20 years, you've been praying for this guy. He says, well, I believe in my heart that if, if God didn't intend, intend on saving him, he wouldn't put this desire in my heart to pray for him. Now, he didn't see his friend saved, but he got saved after George Mueller died. But he prayed for him for 30 years continuous until he died. And that man got saved. So again, Jesus says, don't be discouraged. Continue on your quest and knock. Even when the door of our circumstances are closed and bolted and barred. And we look and it looks like it would never happen. We are still to believe in the promises of prayer and knock anyway. We're to show faith when praying. James 1, 6 says, we're to ask in faith without doubting. We pray because God said pray. He commanded us to pray. And he's promised to answer our prayers. So when we come to a closed door, when we come into circumstances that are against us, we must pay, pray by faith anyway. Now that will take a lot of faith in God. When the circumstances seem to be so dire, so against us, our faith will really be challenged. And as we've prayed, and many I'm sure know, some closed doors seem to be locked tight. But again, don't let that discourage you. Pray anyway and believe that God has the key to unlock any and every locked door. And I love the example that I, uh, of this exact thing here in Acts chapter 12, when Peter was arrested. And he was put in prison. And he was probably going to be executed the next day. But it says, when, when he was in prison in chapter 11, it says, but constant prayer. I love that. When you go to chapter 12 of Acts, underline constant prayer. Constant prayer, it says, was offered to God for Peter by the church. And then it says, fastened with two chains between two soldiers and others stood guard at the prison gate. Notice. Notice how locked up Peter was. You talk about a locked door and, 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 and expecting him to be freed. He's chained between, he, with two chains, he's chained between two soldiers. Other guards stood outside at the prison gate. I mean, it looks like there's no way that Peter could get out of there. Then it says, an angel of the Lord struck Peter on the side to wake him up. He was even sleeping to boot, thinking, he, I'm probably going to be executed the next day. He's sleeping. The angels woke him. He had such peace because he trusted in his God. And not only that, in John 21, Peter, God, Jesus told Peter, you're going to die when you're old. He remembered the word of the Lord. He said, I can go to sleep. What's, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be executed tomorrow. Jesus said, we don't depend upon enough of what Jesus said and thus says the Lord. We look at our circumstances and freak out and, and, and we, we blow it. But Peter was sleeping. The angel said, get up, quick. It says, and the chains fell off of his wrist and they passed the first guard, the second guard and came to the iron gate and it opened all by itself leading to the city. Why? Constant prayer. Constant prayer. Exactly the thing that Jesus is teaching us here. Look at verse seven. Again, he said, knock and it will be opened to you. Now here we see another lesson from the word knock. The word translated knock that this word means to rap, not to sing. It's not that kind of rapping. 
It is a, it is a reverent knock. This word rap means to knock reverently. It's, it's, a, it's a, gentle, a gentle, courteous knock. This word doesn't mean to pound on the door discourteously. It doesn't mean to kick down the door, but to knock, to rap on that door. So we have an exhortation here for reverence and respect when we pray. We're to be serious when we're to pray. We're to be intense and we're to be persistent, but never disrespectful. We're to pray reverently. We don't demand or we don't insist. We don't pray with an attitude that says, you owe me, God. You owe me. God owes no man anything. Again, it's a picture of grace, which we'll see in a little while. We must also remember that in prayer, we're talking to God, the creator of the universe. We're not talking to some man. And when we talk to God, we must talk to him with the greatest of respect. Now, the tense of these three words, to ask and to seek and to knock, are all in the present tense. That means keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. It's constant prayer. God wants us to pray continuously, not occasionally. Faith is active. It is not a passive attitude. Be persistent in prayer. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking is what Jesus is teaching us here. And we should pray at least daily, not just once in a while. And we need to persist in our prayers. This is the approved repeating that we already talked about. Remember, we talked about Jesus said, you know, don't pray pray in vain repetitions like like the scribes and the Pharisees. This is the approved repeating of prayer that Jesus talked about. And God often requires us to ask persistently. The reason is to test our sincerity. Are we really serious about our prayer? This persistency was implied in the seeking lesson that told us about seriousness required in praying. You see, to be serious in seeking means to look diligently until you find the object that you're looking for. You see, and if that object to you is that important, you're not going to stop looking until you find it. You see, that's the idea with prayer. Hey, drop a dollar bill and we'll look all day for it. We won't stop till we find it. Do we have that seriousness when it comes to prayer? I am going to pray and I'm going to seek for that thing until I get it. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't give up asking for God. God often requires us, like I said, to be persistent to test our sincerity. To be serious in seeking means, again, looking diligently until you find the object you're looking for. If if your prayers aren't answered right away, don't get bummed out. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't give up. Keep on asking God. The importance of persistence in this part of praying can't be emphasized enough. And you find it not only in biblical teaching, but you also find it in the lives of God's people. The most fatal thing in the Christian life is to to be content with with passing desires. In other words, you know, getting the desire to pray and then just, oh, well, you know, and just passing it by. God gives us the desire to pray and then we just, we we don't jump on it. We don't do it. We're not persistent. Again, that's a very fatal thing in the Christian life. 
If we really want to be men and women of God, if we really want to to know Him and to walk with Him and to experience those never-ending blessings that He has to offer us, we have to persist in asking Him every single day. Look at verses 9 and 10. Jesus goes on. He says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Now, some people distort this great prayer instruction to mean to pray for anything and everything, and you'll get it. That isn't what these instructions about prayer teach us here. And again, for example, it's, it's that prayer that we hear many times. Oh, you know what? He, he'll give you the desires of your Just pray, brother. The Bible says he'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, part of that is true. But understand, there are limitations and conditions to the prayers that we pray. And in the illustrations that Jesus gives following these prayer instructions, there's a very important requirement about the right things that we should pray for. 1 John 5.14, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. Notice that if we ask anything according to His will, He will hear us. And this is usually where a lot of people stop. All the Bible says, if we ask anything, He hears us. But notice it says, according to His will. Boy, this is a big, a big piece of, this, of the scripture here. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me, and here's, here's where you know as well. If you abide in me, Jesus said, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So what Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, And my words abide in you. What he's saying is that we'll be one. Our hearts beat as one. When our heart beats as one, when our heart beats with God, we will know what is the right thing to pray for. We'll know his desire. We'll know his will. I won't ask for things that are wrong. I will ask for the things that are right. I will ask for the things that God wants me to ask for. And I will ask for the things that are the desire of his heart. And he'll answer them, Bible says. So ask anything according to his will. And Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. The two things that we're to pray for is represented by bread and fish. In verses 9 and 10. What man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for fish he will give him a serpent. Fish and bread are the, are, 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 represents the things we're to pray for. These things are the necessities of life. Not luxuries. Now, I mean, bread and fish, man, those were, the, these were, those were the staples of their diet in that day. These were necessities for their life. And then in Luke 11, verse 12, Jesus has eggs to this list of necessities. The Bible teaches us that we can ask rightly and we can ask wrongly in our prayers. Prayer wrongly hinders getting the answer. And James tells us in chapter 4, 3, he says, you ask and do not receive. And here's why. Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Oh, pray for that car that you want. Or pray for this or pray for that. You know, and, and the reason I want it is because I like it and I want it. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll be so happy with it. Well, it's, to, it, it, it's for my own pleasure. James says, that's why you don't receive. Because you're asking for the wrong reasons that you may spend it on your pleasure. We are to pray correctly, asking only for those things that are needed, not for things that are not needed. Because Paul said, my God, my God shall supply all of your what? Need. 
My God will supply all of your need. Based on this, these prayer instructions here, we're not to pray for luxuries, but necessities that are represented by bread, fish, and egg. These instructions Jesus gives here regarding prayer include the results of our prayer. Or we can say they include the results or the promises of God's, of, of his prayer. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Ask it, notice, and it will be, for, be given to you, and you will find... Knock, and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. In this, we see God's grace is given to us in prayer. He said, it will be given to you. Whatever God gives me is of his grace. Any promise from God can be said to be gracious, and yet these words, given you, especially emphasize grace. What God gives me, it's not based on merit. It's not because I deserve it, because I'm worth it, because I'm somebody special. It's a gift. And when it's all said and done, we must acknowledge the obvious influence of God's grace when it comes to answer prayer. God answered my prayer as a, as, to show his grace. Secondly, his promises are great. Notice in the words in 7 and 8, the words find and receive and open. These are words of great promise. God is not a liar. And God is not cheap or stingy when it comes to, to answering our prayers. God has done and will continue to do amazing things in answering our prayers. Scripture confirms over and over again the greatness of, prom, of the promises of answered prayer. In Acts 4.31, we read this, And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. The symbol, this symbolizes the greatness of answered prayer. The answers to our prayer are many times, as Paul said, exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. You know, we ask so little from God and he wants to give us so much. Also, we see that, 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 that God's answers to prayer are satisfying. To ask and then to receive, to seek and then to find, to knock and then to have the door open, those are very satisfying experiences. They're a lot more satisfying than many other things we do when we look for satisfaction in life. We go out and party, we go drink, and we all think this is going to be great, this is going to be fun, and oh, this is going to be a satisfying experience, and the next day you wake up all stinky and, and headache, and oh yeah, that was really satisfying. You see, prayer doesn't appeal to the flesh. But the results of prayer are so much more satisfying than anything that we go out and seek in this world that we think will satisfy us. Praying does not appeal to the flesh. But it is more, but it is more satisfying though those, than those things that do appeal to our flesh. People who spend their time and their money chasing after material, material things of the world, they don't experience the satisfaction like those who spend the same amount of time and energy in prayer. And that results in more satisfying things and more blessings than the results of chasing worldly things. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2 says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that, doesn't give you, that, that does you no good? 
A lot of people spend a lot of time and energy looking for things that, that, that will satisfy them. But he says, hey, he says, he says, come, anybody who's thirsty, come to the Lord. Why spend your money on food that doesn't give you strength? Why pay for food that does so many things? You know, again, we'll never find happiness in pursuing things or people. It's a waste of time and a waste of money. Verses 7 and 8. He said, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now Jesus here, you know, he's making this promise. He says, again, he says, everyone who asks receives. He says, everybody who, who seeks will find, and everybody knock, who knocks, it will be open. Now, Jesus is backing up what he's saying. He's backing up his claims. Jesus backed up his great promises about prayer with some comforting truths. Now, a lot of people say a lot of things businesses and advertisements they make a lot of claims and when someone makes a radical claim they need to back it up they need to give some support for what they said you know they say something well how are you going to do that it's a lot like these presidential candidates running for president we are going to give you free college sounds wonderful who's going to pay for it they don't tell you they don't explain that free medical care for everybody don't care where you're from Come on into the United States. We'll give it to you. They don't tell you how it's going to get gun. They don't back up their radical claims. Jesus backs up his claims. We can depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The results that Jesus said would come from praying, and they're great. But they weren't given just just out of the clear blue sky. They were given with great support and he gives three significant supports for what he said. Things that backed up what he said, promises of prayer. First of all, God's goodness. We can depend upon answered prayer because of God's goodness. Verse 9 and 11, notice. For what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, notice, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What Jesus does here, he uses the example of the common love of a father for his son to show the goodness of God. If man, though depraved and evil can show goodness in the way he responds to his child's request, how much more is a holy God going to react in goodness? The goodness of God is seen here in the quality of the giver and the quality of the gifts. First of all, the quality of the giver. If his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Deception is involved here in giving a stone for bread or a serpent for a fish. God is not deceptive in his giving. He doesn't say, I'll give you this, I'll answer your prayer, and then, you get, and then you get something else. God doesn't trick us when we ask for certain things by giving us things that, that, that look like the things that we ask for. The character of the normal earthly father is for sure not like that. So that meant... That, that, that means that he, he, you know, that he'd give deceptive things to his children. Their, their earthly father isn't like that. Pagans think that their gods are unpredictable, and they play, and they know that they play these kind of evil tricks on people. 
But the Heavenly Father is definitely not like that. And if an earthly father would not deceive his own son in giving what he needed, neither will the Heavenly Father. Why? God has better character than to be deceitful and play mean tricks on his people who come to him in honest prayer for the basic needs of life. If God promises to answer your prayer request, he will answer it. The second thing that we see, backing up and supporting the radical claims of prayer, the quality of the gift. Notice it says, God, God, Jesus said, he gives good gifts. The bread and fish are good things. The stone and the serpent are bad things. They were harmful things. And if men who are naturally evil can give good gifts, then how much more will your God, who is infinite and holy, give good, give good gifts? James said in chapter 117, God gives good gifts. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God is consistent and his gifts will show us his goodness and his character. His gifts will not corrupt us or pollute us. And the fact that the quality of God's gifts being good also instruct us that God won't give us something that's bad enough or bad even though we have asked for something that will hurt us. And how many times have we prayed for something we thought we needed and wanted that would be bad for us? And sometimes we do pray for things that would harm us. But God won't normally answer those prayers as we have prayed them. And I thank God many times for things that I, that I prayed for that I thought I, I needed and he didn't answer. For example, the prophet Elijah, he prayed to die, but God said no. God didn't answer that prayer because it wasn't, it wasn't good for Elijah. It wasn't, it wasn't his time. And we can all be glad and thankful that God in his goodness has kept us from from having uh, some of our prayers answered. But on the other hand, there may be some exceptions to this. When God does answer something, he does answer a prayer that we've just persisted. We just won't let it go. It's amazing how we'll persist in stuff that's not good for us, but we won't persist in those prayers that are good for us. But again, God may just sometimes... Answer those prayers that we just keep asking. And God says, okay, this is what you want. All right, I'm going to let you have it. Literally, I'm going to let you have it. But answering the prayer, again, it was used by God. It was used by God to discipline that rebellious person and to bring them back to the proper path of life. And that disciplining of the rebellious soul, it was good for that person. The third thing, and the third area where we see God, again, back up and support his radical claim, if you will, his generosity. Again, Jesus said, how much more? Another comforting thought is the fulfillment, the answering of the results of the promises, again, of answered prayer by God in his generosity. No one is as generous as God. And if man knows how to give good gifts, he said, Jesus, how much more will your God give good gifts earlier in the sermon on the mount jesus said now if god so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith the words much more emphasizes the fact that god is more generous than anyone else because his storehouses his storehouse is filled to the top 
God's storehouse is never empty. God's storehouse never needs restocking so he can always be generous with his gifts. God's wealth is infinite. And his generosity and answered prayer will prove it. The, the fourth thing that we see in, in backing up his, his, these, these great claims of answered prayer is the greatness of God. Jesus said, your father who is in heaven, where is he and where are you? The greatness of God, he's in heaven. Our prayers are not made to some earthling, but to somebody who lives in heaven. Earthly fathers do well in providing for things their children ask for, but how much more will the father who lives in heaven do for his own children? No circumstances can limit, as Paul said, his riches in glory. No circumstances can limit his riches in glory. His greatness far exceeds anyone on earth. So this definitely guarantees that what is asked for, it will be answered. It's another significant encouragement that emphasizes that the results of prayer stated here by Jesus are definitely true and faithful. This reassurance also teaches us who we're to pray to when we pray. Why pray to somebody of a lesser person than the Almighty God? Why go to a lowly official when you can go to the top in making your request for help? We're never commanded to pray to anyone but God Almighty. We're not commanded to pray to Mary. We're not commanded to pray to saints. We're not commanded to pray to priests or anyone or anything else. And if you want great things done in your prayers, then you seek the one who can do great things. And of course, that's our great and almighty God. In closing, verse 12. Therefore, the therefore points back to everything we just read in verses 7 through 11. Therefore, in light of what Jesus just said, he says, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets is also a paraphrase of the great second statement that Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The implication of verses 7 through 11 is made clear here in verse 12. The perfect love of the Heavenly Father is reflected the most in His children when they treat others as they themselves wish to be treated. There is no ability with an unbeliever to love in the way that Jesus commands here. Unbelievers, you know, they can do a lot of honorable things and every once in a while they might approach a a real high level of of the highest moral standard but they can't keep it up they cannot keep up such selflessness because they don't have the divine resource necessary for regular habitual living on that higher plane that the believer does and how we treat others isn't to be decided by how we expect them to treat us and, and and you know, we, we expect people to treat us in a certain way. Can't do that. How we treat others isn't to be expected by how we expect them to treat us or how by, or how by we think they should treat us, but by how we want them to treat us. This is the heart of the principle, a part of the general truth that's not found in other religious, uh, religions or, or, or philosophies. This is, this, this is what is called the golden rule. One of the most misunderstood statements in the Bible. 
Because this is not a means of salvation. Oh, treat good people, treat people well, and blah, 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 and, and you'll go to heaven. No. This great truth is a principle that should, that should rule our attitudes towards other people. It only applies to believers, and it has to be practiced in every area of our life. And the person who practices the golden rule refuses to say or do anything that would harm themselves or others. And if our judging of others is not ruled by this principle, we will become proud and we will become critical. And our own spiritual character will deteriorate. Practicing the golden rule releases the love of God in our lives. And it makes us able to help others, even those who want to hurt us. But remember, practicing the golden rule means paying a price. If we want God's best for ourselves and others, I mean, there's others that are going to resist God's will. They will oppose us. But understand, we are salt, and salt stings the open wound. And we are light, and light exposes everything. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage, Lord. We thank you for this wonderful section of the Sermon on the Mount, God. And, and again, Lord, we can be taught prayer. We can study it. We can agree that prayer works. But it's useless unless it's done. Unless we actually pray. And Father, we, we pray that, God, if there are those here right now that don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior... The Father, they will come to know you. The Father, they will recognize their need for holiness, righteousness, for their sins to be forgiven, God. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship right now. And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God's placed it on your heart to repent and confess your sins and to receive Christ, Then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, you make your way to the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.